With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Crime Corner, where we examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. My guest today, Tracy Clark, a native Chicagoan, is the Sue Grafton Memorial Award-winning author of the Cassandra Raines Chicago Mystery Series, featuring ex-cop turned P.I. Cass Raines. Her novels, as mentioned, have won the Sue Grafton Memorial Award, which is really impressive, made multiple Best of the Year lists, and have been nominated for multiple Anthony, Seamus, and Lefty Awards. Book four in the series, Runner, comes out next Tuesday, the 29th of June. Tracy is a proud member of Sisters in Crime and Misty Writers of America, and is a law, I'm sorry, is a lifelong Southsider, and this is where I think the bio goes a little off, because she claims to root for every Chicago team with equal enthusiasm, but I'm thinking if she's a Southsider, <laughs> She roots, she roots for the White Sox over the Cubs. Anyway, she's been a journalist for the Tribune Company for nearly three decades and is currently busy writing her next book. Welcome, Tracy Clark. Thank you for having me, Matt. Glad to be here. Yeah, let's get this. Let's get the Southsider thing out of the way first. I don't. I've okay. been to Chicago a few times. I actually went to a Cubs game uh, years and years ago with, when I was working for a golf company. But um, <clears throat> you got to have a little more for the White Sox. Look, I'm trying to keep it diplomatic here. Okay. Um, White Sox, Cubs. <laughs> I don't want to get anybody angry at me. I love all the teams equally. They're all there my favorites. And if somebody there wins you. the World Series at some point within my lifetime, that will be my favorite. Well, the Cubs won the World Series about five or six years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. We'll and uh, they're actually having DC here this year. So, Tell us a little bit about Runner, as we said, the fourth book in the uh, Cassie Raines Chicago Mystery Series. Mm-hmm. Well, in this one, uh, Cass Raines is looking for a runaway 15-year-old uh, in the middle of a Chicago winter, uh, which is uh, sort of a character all its own. Um, yeah. She's sort of uh, on the job, uh, pounding the streets, uh, following the breadcrumbs. Um, halfway through her journey, she quickly discovers that somebody else is looking for her. And now it becomes a race uh, to see who gets to the kid first, uh, her for uh, altruistic reasons, and the other forces for less than uh, kosher uh, reasons. And it becomes a race to see who gets there first. Um, I had a lot of fun uh, sort of writing a Chicago winter. It's a special Mm. kind of experience, as I think Mm -hmm. most people would expect. Uh, and I sort of at one point sort of thought I was going too far, but I don't think I did. I don't think I did it justice. Uh, I think I did okay with it, but I think <laughs> I think it's probably put down on the page. So I tried my best 
it's just an experience that you cannot adequately describe to people who are not familiar with it. Uh, but I, I think I get close. Well, I think you, I, I, having never been to Chicago in the winter, I can't um, verify, but it, just in Smart terms man. of being a reader, <laughs> in terms of being a reader, I, I do think you, you actually did a really good job of uh, showing sure. just how cold it was. I mean, I was, I was rubbing my hands together at various points. Um, oh, good. That's good. <laughs> so what drew you to the idea of writing about a missing child? Uh, you know, a tough subject. Yeah, it is a, a tough subject, and it's sort of multi-layered. It's not like a simple thing to sort of uh, yeah. write about. Um, I sort of yeah. start thinking about the next book um, halfway through the book that I'm writing um, because I sort of panic. Um, I'm, I have the story that I'm writing now, but I know that I'm going to have to come up with another one pretty quickly. Um, so I'm sort of cruising through the newspaper or whatever, and I see a little item on a runaway in the city of Chicago. And that sort of, I guess, starts me thinking, um, as all, all sort of things do, um, mm-hmm. find ideas for stories in a lot of different places, newspaper, uh, television, uh, sitting next to somebody on the bus, or snippets of uh, dialogue or information uh, that just sort of come at you from everywhere. Um, so uh, that idea of a runaway sort of stuck with me. I uh, finished the book that I was writing, and then I sort of started to think about how would I approach a story about runaways and throwaway children. Um, mm. So um, I'm dealing with a PI, and my sort of thought process starts where her case starts. And if somebody comes to her door with a problem, uh, that's her case. Uh, that's where she starts. And then she sort of goes through this whole investigation sort of linearly, uh, which PIs do. Uh, they follow lead after lead and suspect after suspect and figure out who's telling a lie and who's telling the truth. And so that's how I did it. So I, I wanted to write about Runaways. I did a little bit of research on DCFS and how it mm-hmm. works, how it's supposed to work, um, and then what might happen uh, if it didn't work the way it was supposed to work. Uh, and that's where the imagination sort of takes over and where you sort of craft your story around where things might have sort of broken down and sort of put this kid in jeopardy. Um, I also did a little research on foster parents and agencies that sort of help those homes sort of keep these children together and on the right track. Um, I wanted to know whether or not there were for-profit agencies that did that, and there were. Um, They sort of of deal with kids who are sort of about to age out of the system, and they're supposed Mm -hmm. to be that safety net for them. And then again, I'm thinking about, well, that's how it's supposed to work, what happens if something happens where it sort of keeps up and something else goes on and some of these kids sort of fall between the cracks. And so that's where my story started. And then I had to sort of figure out um, what happened, who did it, uh, what might have sort of prompted her to leave what would otherwise be looked at as like a perfect foster home. It was great. Um, But why would she leave? And why would she leave in the middle of a Chicago winter? So that's where it started. And then it was just because I'm a pantser, uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of mistake after mistake, uh, dead mm-hmm. end after dead end, uh, sort of picking my way through this story to sort of get to the final page. So it's quite a process, uh, just enough information just to know where I was going, and then I was off and running. Yeah, the research comes through for sure. It, um, you really seem to uh, – I mean, I learned a lot of things about uh, – uh, runaway uh, foster kids the whole situation kids in the system 
Um, do you enjoy research? Um, not usually. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like math for me. Um, I like writing. I like writing. I like sort of mm-hmm. solving craft problems. I like developing characters. I like sort of coming up with uh, intricate plots. That's what I enjoy about the writing process. Research, not so much. But in this case, I think I needed to sort of know how it works, um, how it might not work, and what I could do with how it might not work um, and how I can sort of turn that into a story. So I just did enough uh, to make sure that I was sort of on solid ground or, or, or right. ground. And then the imagination and the cancer part of me sort of took over and sort of picked my way through it. Well, being a pantser, and uh, for those of you who don't know what a pantser is, we're not going to tell you what a pantser is. You got to let your imagination roam. <laughs> Look it up, um, yeah. <laughs> being a pantser myself, or we always call it blank pager out here in California, and a, uh, a hat tip to Raymond Chandler. Um, so do you do research as you go, or is there some sort of, uh, in the beginning, I'm kind of, I'm putting a shell on the outside of this story, and I, need, I know I need to do mm-hmm. this now. Um, so this is what I did. Um, I got to a point where I needed to know the scope of the issue of the runaway problem, and I thought was looking for numbers, how many kids are out there, um, how many kids mm. does DCF have to sort of deal with uh, on a yearly basis, and, uh, and it's a lot. It's thousands of kids, and these case managers in a lot of cases have caseloads with 50 and 60 kids in it. I mean, there's absolutely, I don't think, any efficient way or comprehensive way for one person to follow 50 and 60 kids yeah. and make sure that everyone is safe. You know what I mean? It's a, yeah. a, a humongous problem. And so, I, yeah, I sort of halfway through, as I'm picking my way, um, had to sort of stop and see how big of a scope this thing was. And then that sort of uh, uh, gave me a little bit of in terms of the emergency of the of issue, the immediacy of the issue, and how important it was to sort of get some kind of social services to these kids. And I put that sort of in there along the way just to give it some kind of a little, you know, credence and the legitimacy of it. Yeah, it definitely shows. Uh, this is a question I think it's just for me because I, I don't, I'm not going to give away a spoiler, but I, um, I'm just thinking about this. And I'm, I may have gotten his name wrong, but the, is it the kid, uh, the runaway, Scoot? What's his name? Yeah. Is that a real type person? Are there kids like um, that? No, uh, I needed somebody, uh, sort of like a uh, artful dodger, sort of a character. Yeah, um, artful dodger, and perfect. Sort of, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I sort of came out of my imagination, uh, the name as well. Uh, he just sort of popped up as I needed him, which is fantastic for me because sort of finding characters to sort of put down on the page is a difficult thing. Um, so right. I think some writers sort of have these sort of elaborate uh, character sketches and it goes on for pages. <laughs> Uh, we know what size shoe they wear, what their favorite color. I don't know any of that information until I need that information. So when right. I needed to, uh, to be there, uh, to be this sort of Pied Piper sort of a character, um, he showed up. Uh, and I, of course, uh, fleshed him out uh, as drafts and drafts went by. And um, so, yeah, I was sort of lucky that he did show up as well as the other kids, too. Well, as... Um... As a, I think it's a possibility that our kids like that out there. I mean, your imagination is working, but um, it's it's an interesting part of the story, well written. But um, I just <clears throat> I was curious about that, and uh, it's very believable. Um, you just something said something that perked my information. I've already forgotten it, so I'm gonna have to go to my prepared questions. 
<laughs> so we talked about Chicago and um, mm-hmm. you doing a fantastic job of describing it in the winter. Of course, as far as I know, I mean, all your books take place in Chicago, all four so far. Mm-hmm. So how important is um, Chicago as a character in the book? books? Um, I think it's kind of like a separate character, you know, important as Cass and her group of people. Um, I think Chicago has a sort of a different feel than any place else might have. Um, mm-hmm. And there are some things about it. Uh, we are a city uh, of neighborhoods, uh, as we mm-hmm. like to say, and mm-hmm. every neighborhood is distinctive. Um, it has a long history uh, in terms of who founded it and who lived there and at what point the transition happened and those old people sort of moved out and the new people moved in. Um, you know, so, yeah, we've got all of that sort of melting pot sort of information and, and really interesting, interesting drama to sort of fall back on. So I like Chicago. I think it's an interesting city to write about. And I chose it initially because I live here and was born here and raised here. And writing is hard enough without having to research hmm. another thing that you're not familiar with. You know, Absolutely. so when I'm starting out as a new writer, uh, you pick where you, where you, you planted yourself. Uh, that's the spot you know the best. Uh, that's the city you sort of uh, want to highlight and write about. Uh, and then maybe at some point uh, when I get more proficient at this, uh, maybe at book nine or ten or whatever, I will mm-hmm. write about someplace else. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, everything is changing. I uh, get better as you go along, and uh, hopefully uh, I'll sort of branch out at some point. Yeah, I don't – I. There's a lot in Chicago, and uh, you describe it well. And it's uh, having spent a little bit of time there, not that much, but it is a city of neighborhoods, amazingly. And there's so much the different food in different neighborhoods. One thing they all have in common, though, is the servings are very big. I noticed that when I was out oh, there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the servings are very well, this big. This is the Midwest. Come on. <laughs> this, right. this is the Midwest. We're not doing those little, little baby portions or anything. You're going to get a steak, a big steak with potatoes and all the rest of that stuff. I had no complaints, but I, I actually had a situation where I did take out. I didn't finish it all. It was uh, pasta or something, which was, uh, especially at that time, kind of hard to believe. Um, mm-hmm. All very good, though. So Cassie, or Cass, I'm sorry, used to be a homicide cop in a city she loves. Can you talk about, or do you want to talk about, why she left the forest and how that departure affects her going forward? Um, well, she leaves the forest in book one, Broken Spaces, and something happens. We sort of meet her on the worst possible day, uh, the worst day of her police career. Um, something happens on a rooftop that sort of changes, changes the trajectory of her entire life. Um, she loses her career. Uh, quickly after that, she loses somebody important to her. And that sort of puts her sort of in a, sort of a pivot situation where she has to sort of regroup. Um, it can either sink her or she can grow from it. And she sort of manages to sort of limp along and get through um, and just move forward. And as she goes through the book, she sort of expands a little bit more, um, gets a little bit more trustful of others. Um, She expands herself a little bit more in terms of emotional uh, connections to other people. Um, She's sort of a one man or a one woman sort of thing. She's self-contained. She would be perfectly fine uh, if she could sort of go through her life by herself. But she has people around her now who are sort of holding on and sort of dragging her through uh, this emotional journey. So, um, yeah, we meet her at the worst point. I gave her the most, uh, I think, searing wound that I could possibly give her. And then I see, step back and see, 
what she's going to do from that point on. Is she going to revert and uh, sort of think, or is she going to pick herself up and move ahead? And the next three or four books are her picking up, moving ahead, learning, uh, expanding, getting better, and sort of uh, getting her job done. So I think it's an interesting arc for her. Um, I like the fact that she's not perfect. I like the fact that she has flaws. I like the fact there's something she's not going to get or hasn't gotten yet, and but that she's working on it. And she's sort of um, pushing back against these, these tethers that, that are sort of holding on to her, but she sort of also accepts the fact that no person is an island and she's got to sort of rely on people at some point. So it's all interesting. It's all uh, juice and energy and, and rocket fuel for the stories that I'm telling. And um, just sort of dig in and see what else you can do to her to sort of see what she does. <laughs> what else you can do to her. That's a writer. Yeah, my, um, my mission, and I've chosen to accept it, is to make her life as miserable as I can possibly make it. Uh, and then to see what happens after that. How does she, what is, how does she sort of deal with that? Absolutely. That's what makes it interesting. Um, so aside from the vast sums of money private eye writers make, why did you decide to write a series about a private investigator? Um, I, sort of, I wanted to write the kinds of books that I enjoyed reading. Um, mm-hmm. When I was coming up, I was reading Agatha Christie and a Little Hammett and Little Chandler. Uh, mm. I, like, I like the Nick and Nora Charles uh, books. I like those. Um, but I also was reading like Sue Grafton's uh, Alphabet series and uh, Linda Barnes and all of those wonderful series, Female PI. Um, mm-hmm. So when I sort of got to the point where I'd made up my mind that I was going to do this or try to do it, uh, I sort of uh, latched on to that. I wanted to write those kinds of books, that kind of character. And so then it became a 20-year journey of sort of mm-hmm. teaching myself how to put a story together, um, how to develop characters, um, sort of studying a lot about craft and pacing and dialogue and all the rest of those wonderful tools that we have in our toolkit um, to sort of put this thing together in a fashion that readers would enjoy reading, I would enjoy writing, uh, and something that I can sort of uh, sustain over uh, many, many books and many years, hopefully, not wood. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I sort of began to write what I enjoyed reading. And then, of course, it becomes a matter of you putting your own spin on it, um, seeing what else you can do with the inventions of the P.I. novel, uh, the archetype of the P.I. character, um, this sort of outsider character, uh, sort of going to the lonely streets all alone. You know, I mm-hmm. gave her that to a certain extent, but I also gave her uh, the flip side uh, and, and sort of a Scooby gang that she sort of has to deal with. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of the, the old a little bit of the new, and then sort of this character in the middle um, trying to sort of deal with both of those factions. You mentioned Sue Grafton, and uh, you may or may not be surprised how often Sue Grafton's name comes up on this show. Um, great writer, nice nice lady. Yeah, um, great writer. Left way too soon. So how did it feel to win the award um, in her name? Well, um, it was just wonderful, uh, surprising, but also a great, great humbling honor. Um, mm-hmm. I just can't, I, I don't think I have words to adequately express how much it meant to me. Um, growing up, sort of reading those books and knowing how great they were um, and knowing how instrumental and important they were in sort of my journey as a writer. To get an award named for Sea Grafton is just mind-boggling to me. I still can't 
believe that I won it. Uh, I'm pleased about it every single day. I have the award mm-hmm. somewhere where I can see it as I pass every single day mm-hmm. back and forth. Um, it's inspiration. Uh, it's validation. It's also, uh, you know, just a great, great sort of exhale moment. Um, all mm-hmm. those years of sort of your head down on the paper, trying to figure out how to do this, how to make uh, this story sort of jump off the page, how to create characters that readers care about. Um, there was a lot of sort of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of pulling my hair out, a lot of revising and deleting and going back and starting over. Um, and then to have that sort of validation that you're doing something right, um, you've gotten to at least a sort of a, a point where you've got for, gotten proficient at it. And maybe whatever you do after that is icing on the cake. So I think I've sort of gotten to that point where I can sort of breathe for a little bit I've done it. I've learned how to do it. And now the rest of my career will be trying to get better at what I'm doing. That is a great answer. And uh, exhaling, um, I think that, that is so well put. I think that sometimes we always have our head down and we're looking towards the next project and trying to stay on track and trying to raise our, um, you know, our, our profile, what have you. And, uh, yeah, you, uh, accomplishments, you need to take a little breath after that. Um, however, you did open the Pandora's box. You were talking about, you know, how long it takes and all these things. So how long did it take you from first, I don't know, writing on a laptop or a desktop to getting published? In, it took more than 20 years. I started okay. really, really concentrating on writing a book uh, about the second year of college. Um, up until that point, I kind of knew that I wanted to be a writer. had no idea how to do that. Mm. I didn't know any writers. No writers knew me. I was just a little kid from the south side of Chicago, reading voraciously, uh, wanting to write something like things I was reading. Um, so I sort of made the decision that I was going to do this around the second year of college. And then it wow. became, <laughs> as I said, like a more than 20-year journey from sort of just doing it just not knowing anything about craft or character or anything like that, just writing what I thought a book would be. Um, almost 20 years before from that point until I actually uh, signed a contract and the book, that's the book came with my name on the cover and sort of gave me a thrill. But it was 20 years of really hard working, uh, all those rejection letters, piling in, yeah. uh, me starting over. Um, it's just the same process that I think most writers have to go through in order to get sort of to that golden ticket. Um, but yeah, more than 20 years. Well, did you, okay. Did you have any books in the drawer when you finally got published? Because you've done something that, I mean, all writers want to get to is a book a year, uh-huh. but you, you've done it from the get go with book one while you've had the day job and that, you know, doing it with a day job is very difficult doing it. It usually takes somebody a few years to kind of find the rhythm. So did you have, like, when they said yes to this one, you got the um, John Grisham where you go, hey, I got this one too, or did you? Actually, yeah, um, uh, because it took so long, right, um, those mm-hmm. rejection letters were coming in, um, I just kept writing. Um, I Good. sort of queried the first book, and those rejection letters came back, so I put that one aside, and I started another. Um, did the same thing, uh, finished that second manuscript, thought it was pretty good, uh, started sending it out. Uh, rejection letters came back. 
I, so I put that one aside and I started another. Um, I just kept writing, kept moving forward. I kept the rejection letters, piled them up as inspiration. Um, mm. And so by the time I, they, I, that first book sold, and I said, well, if you'd like those two, I've got two more in the drawer, um, just like that one. And so they took all three, you know, but I just sort of kept writing. Um, right. Rejection letters were sort of debilitating, as they are for most writers, I think. Um, but you sort of have to use that as inspiration and motivation. Um, and if they are enough to sort of turn you back from doing what you think you should be doing or want to do, then you're probably in the wrong profession to begin with. Um, so you just have to be persistent and you have to keep writing. And all of that time, uh, it, still, it took quite a while, uh, was not wasted time because I was getting better really? at writing a story. I was getting better at putting words on paper. I was learning about all those things that I didn't know in the beginning, like how to sort of pace things out, how to sort of create a world on the page. Um, you know, so as I was sort of waiting for my time to come, uh, or my number to come up, um, I was hmm. practicing and writing and learning and getting better and getting better. So by the time it sold, I was a better writer then than I would have been 20 years before. Um, exactly. Probably would not have been my time, um, but right. it happened when it was supposed to happen. Right. That's so important that you just said about being your time. Although, you know, it can always be an earlier time, but um, yeah. being ready, being ready when the opportunity's there and, and all that, like you said, all that time you put in making you get to the level where, where your first book was, you came in like a house of fire. Uh, Anthony, Seamus, and Lefty nominations on your first book. So all that, all that hard work and create and improving craft um, was evident. You know, I, when I was looking for Scoot, I got your, your book right here. I um I had dog-eared a pass a, a page a passage that I really liked. I don't generally read stuff um read stuff read things that writers have written on the show, but this came up, so I thought here it is. I'm gonna read I'm gonna read this about this just tells you a little bit about quality okay. writing. Um, I'm not gonna tell you where it is. So this is a paragraph. D'Angelo called over to the kids, and they crowded in around the small table. I took another sip of chocolate, watching them in all their teenage tenderness. I couldn't remember ever being that young. I don't think I ever was. By the time I'd gotten to their ages, too much of life had happened that it, that it washed the child right out of me. Watching them now, I wondered, not for the first time, what I might have missed. That is 20 years worth of hard work right there. Yeah, that's a lot of time with your head uh, down on a piece of paper uh, and sort of praying. <laughs> well, it's an excellent, excellent and I mean, passage. Everything, I mean, yeah, you sort of have to... I, I did at least had to sort of teach myself everything, um, the, the the kind of words that I use, uh, the length of the sentences, uh, the rhythm of the sentences, uh, the transitions from one scene to the other, making them as seamless as I could possibly make them. Um, it was all learning, it's all experience, it's all exercise, it's all practice uh, for when your shot comes. So you know you just have to sort of go through that process. It's creating a voice. It's creating voice. You know the, the term that's so important that yeah. nebulous. You really can't put your finger on, but you're, okay. that's creating your voice as a writer. Anyway, great passage. Um, Thank you. We got that part done. Well, we talked a little bit about this, but um, like all the best mysteries, Runner starts with a very simple case that expands into something much deeper and darker. And we talked a little bit about how you go about constructing a story and that you're a pantser, but um, 
as you're going, do you, here's a, here's a question. As you're writing book four, book five, which I imagine you're writing now, or okay. turning in already and writing book six, um, how much more do you learn about casts with each new book? I think that we learn something about her every book, uh, not really monumental things, because um, she doesn't change much from book to book. Uh, I sort of change her a little bit. Um, I think most people, real people, uh, don't change a lot. Um, they learn things along the way, as most uh, humans do, but they are who they are, uh, and they sort of process things as they process them. And whether or not they sort of grow uh, as adults or, you know, sort of evolve to a certain extent, uh, I think those are baby steps. Um, so I think we, when we find her in book four, she sort of accepted the fact that she is not an island, that she sort of has to rely on mm -hmm. people. She didn't know that in book one. Um, mm -hmm. She was still sort of trying to white-knuckle it through her life. Um, and by the book four, she sort of has a relationship, sort of, it's not going to be easy. Nothing in these books are going to be because that's my job, you know, but she has learned to sort of sort of roll with it, um, to be less of what she was in book one uh, and quite not as much as she's going to be hopefully in book five or six. So um, little, little baby steps. Um, she's learning to sort of uh, look up and look at the world as it is and sort of find her place in it. And nothing is, that she does or nothing that comes back at her is going to be easy for her to process, which is kind of uh, wonderful for me uh, as a person who has to sort of put her through these rigors. Um, I right. enjoy that, uh, that tension and that stress, uh, and you learn more about her from those things as opposed to having everything be uh, hunky-dory and uh, just perfect. Hunky-dory is boring. Although, I, though personally, I would have no, I'd have no idea <laughs> in a personal way whether it is or not. Um, okay, yeah. so I'm going to take you back once again. So not after getting rejections and such, but when you're writing whatever point in that 20 years where you're kind of writing every day or three or four times a week, what have you, when you're writing, and I don't know if your first book you're writing actually ended up being Broken Places, but when you were writing your first cast, did you know you were writing a series early on? Um, did you intend I to? wanted to write a series. Uh, well, it was so tough writing the first one, but I sort of had that in my mind that I wanted to write a series like the series that I enjoyed reading. Um, but when I was writing that first book, it was so tough, and I knew so little about writing um, that that was probably all I could handle. Um, but uh, as the rejection letters came in and that was no going nowhere, I just sort of stepped that, put it aside and started another one. Uh, these are the characters that I was familiar with. And so I just continued uh, with those characters with a different story. Um, and, of course, uh, it went on to the third with the same character just because it was easier for me to sort of teach myself how to navigate this whole wondrous thing uh, with characters that I was familiar with. Um, so that's sort of how it turned out to be a series. I sort of had the idea that maybe I would do it, uh, but the first one was so harrowing and took so long um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, I just sort of got uh, sort of sidelined, really, um, I, those were the characters I had, so I'm going to continue with that until I learn a little bit more, and then we'll see what happens after that. So, um, yeah, so kind of a series, um, the series sort of uh, as a default, and then kind of happy with it now. So, yeah. You talked about things you had to learn, things you're learning on your own. Were you ever in a writer's group or have beta readers and such along the way? 
Um, early on, no. Um, I was just sort of writing in my own little room, uh, when right. at my desk with nobody else. Um, in a cocoon. Later on, exactly. Um, uh, and then I actually got a rejection letter with some advice in. Um, hmm. After all those years of getting those rejection letters, those form letters, uh, uh, not at this time, hmm. wish you all the right. best of luck, uh, two sentences max, uh, didn't get into it. Um, there was one rejection that I got by email, and the agent said, I like parts of this, uh, but you could really sort of benefit from a writer's workshop or a writer's group. And yeah. so I sort of swiveled around, and I Googled uh, writing workshops in the city of Chicago, and one popped up, and I sort of impulsively just sort of registered. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sort of shy and sort of introverted as a person, and that sort of takes a lot for me to sort of go out there and sort of be in groups of people, especially uh, when you're doing something as personal as right. writing a book, uh, right? You know what I mean? So these right, are your, sure your books. This is your baby. And now right. you're going to sit in a room with you know, 10 other people and read <laughs> something that is really close to you. So, But I did it. Um, I sort of wanted to move ahead. Um, so I joined this writer's uh, workshop. Uh, called the Writer's Loft here in Chicago, and mm-hmm. I was there for two years. Um, for the first year, I worked on the first book, and I sort of got that into shape. Um, the second year, I worked on the second book, and mm-hmm. at the end of that second year, uh, the instructor sort of suggested that maybe I sort of should send it to her agent, um, which I did uh, with her sort of recommendation, and uh, a couple weeks later, he sent me an email, and he said he would take it. And he said, I said, wonderful. That sort of that email sort of found me at work as I was sort of working on comic strips and puzzles and stuff. And <laughs> that sort of uh, put the end to my afternoon because I was no longer right. interested. Um, right. <laughs> you know, but so that's how it happened. So he took the first one, and I said, well, if you like that one, I've got two more just like it. Uh, he said, well, send me those two. I did, and uh, like three or four weeks later, it wasn't very long at all. After 20 years of, you know, querying and getting rejected, uh, it happened pretty quickly uh, that all mm-hmm. three books were taken by Kensington. So uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't more than three or four weeks before I had a, a contract, uh, the books were gone, and then I could sort of breathe. Again, or for the first time. Again, yeah. This, this We have a lot of... Um, and I say this almost almost every show. A lot of writers in various stages of their profession. I'm, um, I'm yet, as of yet published, published, trying to get to the next level. And I think all the things that you've said so far about your journey is so important. And you've done, you did everything right, even when you didn't really know what right was. Mm-hmm. You were, you know, you just kept writing. You get the rejections, and you overcame it. You, you had the intestinal fortitude to to keep going. And then you took your baby out in the world with a bunch of strangers, and you're a shy person. And they got to tell you how ugly your baby was, and then you made your baby prettier. Yeah. And all these and what, all these things that you had to go against, you had to make yourself uncomfortable to get better, to yeah. get where you wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that can, I know for personally for years, it, it's um, just not just not just not wanting that to be uncomfortable kept me probably from going further, going out more than I should early. But anyway, it's so important to to push yourself through these through these boundaries. And uh, look where you've gotten today. I think it's fantastic information for everybody listening. So yeah. we're winding down. Your book comes out on Tuesday. It's mm-hmm. no longer 
lockdown, hopefully everywhere. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be, uh, you got any book events coming up you wanted to talk about? Um, I've got my launch uh, virtual uh, on the 29th uh, with the bookseller, and I'll be in conversation with Lori Rader Day, uh, one of my okay. favorite peeps. Um, so that should be fun. Um, I'm pretty sure she's got some really uh, wonderful questions for me, and uh, i got a sort of a wicked sense of humor, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so that got that. Uh, but then I think that's uh, it for a while. I've, oh, I've got Noir the Bar uh, this Friday, uh, actually a couple of hours right. from now. Uh, that yeah. should be fun. Um, sure. Yes, yeah, so, and then BoxerCon in August in New Orleans. So um, you'll be on my panel. I'll be asking right. the questions of you. Yeah, so it should be fun. Well, hopefully your questions and Lori's questions will be better than what I've given you today. Um, uh, so where can people find Well, first of all, uh, what's next? I'm guessing book five in the series. No, actually, I'm taking a break. I'm doing two standalones. Um, wow. Hide. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, that's the weird sort of a thing. Uh, after you sort of lived with certain characters for all this time, to sort of shift it and sort of have, get sort of used to a different set of characters. Uh, it's third person as opposed to first, so it's not so voicey. Mm. Uh, it's a police procedural uh, suspense, uh, still set in Chicago. Uh, but a new uh, main character, uh, African-American female, but not cat. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm done with the first draft, getting ready to start my second draft. And it will release in December of 2022. So I have wow. great hope for it, and uh, we'll see how it goes. It's always good to sort of change it up and learn new ways of telling a, a story. So I'm kind of excited about it and a little frightened about it. But, uh, you know, I think I should uh, be able to do it. You're pushing yourself once again. Um, good for you. I got to. If I was left to my own devices, I would never leave my, my uh, writing desk here. I would never go out. I would never talk to anybody. I just sort of have to push myself past the fact uh, that I am inherently introverted and shy. And, uh, you know, so I just have to do it. Well, you're working your way through it. If I was left to my own devices, I'd probably just buy a bunch of more devices. Um, okay, so where can people <laughs> find you on the World Wide Web? Well, let's see. I'm on Twitter at uh, TracyPC6161. Uh, I've got my website, uh, TracyClarkBooks.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. I have no idea what my Facebook uh, handle is, but uh, just type me in there and I should pop up. Well, yeah, I see you on Facebook all the time. You don't even know where I don't know. Yeah, you know. When you see well, me, I probably uh, should be writing. Right. There you are right there. That's a picture that for uh, Crime Corner. So um, people go to your Facebook or social media, and they'll be able to find Noir at the Bar, a link for that today, tonight, and, and your launch on Tuesday with Lori Raider Day. Yep. Very, very cool. Well, thanks for doing this. Um, I know we've been Facebook friends for a while, but I'm glad we really finally had a chance to talk um, yeah. beyond being on a remote panel together. Right. So... Uh, <laughs> Thanks again, and I will see you in um, New Orleans, where it'll be hot and sticky. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. (laughs) All right, folks. Thanks for listening in. Um, Great interview. Very interesting person. So um, this is a copyrighted trademark podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Be talking at you again. I don't have a specific date right now. Have a good weekend. Thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.